there was a bully there. And so my girls had to deal with that. But because I knew the situation, I was able to be the one to speak into their lives. And it's not that we were isolated and they had no other adult mentors and influences. They certainly did have all of that. But I was able to be the one that they would go to because I was there every day. One day, I swear, she went to bed, a non-reader. She woke up the next day she could read. I don't know. You know, it was just her brain development, right? Yeah. And some things just click. And then once she was a reader, she was a reader. And that was it. She's the one who read classics all through high school. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. You are listening to Diary of a Homeschooler, where we talk about all things homeschooling. I'm your host, Jenna Kelly. I homeschooled for three years myself through my junior high or middle school years, and am now a homeschool mom to five beautiful kids aged 15 down to three. This episode is from my series, But How Do You Homeschool Through High School?, where I chat with homeschool parents who have supported their children as they graduated high school and moved on to other endeavors. I am very excited. I have Tina Hollenbeck with me here today. Tina is a mom to two homeschool graduates, and she also is the host of a podcast herself. Welcome to the show today, Tina. I'm glad to have you with me. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to talk to you today. Great. I just wanted to let you kind of introduce yourself, let us know about your podcast, let us know about your, a little bit about your homeschool experience, and then I've got some questions for you. Okay. So you mentioned I have two daughters. They are currently 21 and 22 years old. They are Irish twins. So they are born a little less, the younger was born a little less than a year after the older. I had my kids a little bit later in life. And so I always wanted twins, but I think God was like, yeah, you can't handle twins, but I'll give you this. (laughs) And uh, so that was a blessing. I actually was a public school teacher before I had them. And when the older was born, I quit knowing full well that I was going to stay home and raise my children. And then number two came along right away. So that was really convenient. I always wanted to homeschool. I had met one of the like modern homeschool pioneers that attended a church that I was attending at the time when I was a newlywed. And so I saw her kids. I'm in the state of Wisconsin and homeschooling here in the modern era became legal in 1984. And so I met this family and they were into it for a handful of years at that point and got to know them and thought that they were really cool and mentioned it to my husband, my new husband at the time. And he was like, huh, what's all that about? I don't know. You know, mom and dad, his parents are public school teachers. I think that maybe that might offend them. And so, so he was kind of leery about it. And then, you know, then I was doing my teaching stuff. We finally had the girls and I brought it up again and he was still kind of in that he's a firstborn. So he doesn't want to disappoint his parents and all that kind of thing. But he also took a job around that time when the girls were babies and toddlers as the interim youth pastor at a church, a different church. And so he got to meet all the middle schoolers and high schoolers in that church, public school, private school, homeschool. And one day I remember he came home and he said, okay, I've gotten to know all these kids. I like them all. No, I like most of them, <laughs> but there's something special about these homeschooled kids. He said, there's just, there's a difference about them. He said, Hey, ironically, they're more socialized than anybody else. <laughs> they can talk to anybody else in the room. It doesn't matter. B, they really care about learning, whether it's the stuff I'm doing in youth group or it's just we talk about a history topic. They're really into it. And he just enjoyed them. And he thought that they were more mature. He thought that they were just 
more well-rounded. And he said, if that's what homeschooling does, then I'm all in. And that's all I needed. Like they're taught, my girls are toddlers. I was already kind of planning how am I going to finagle this when they're older, but I didn't have to. And uh, we talked to his parents. Of course, they didn't understand, but they were great. They are great parents in terms of just letting their children parent their own children. So they were, they were very understanding. They learned about it and were very supportive. And so I always like to say, I actually started homeschooling when the girls were born, because I think that's really the reality. And at a certain point we end, we add had formal academics, but so basically we homeschooled all the way through, never looked back. I, I never even considered sending my children away from home. Maybe that's in part because I saw the public school system from the inside as a teacher for nine years. I saw it at the middle school level. I saw it at the high school level, and I just did not want my children in that experience. So homeschooled them all the way through. They, because they're Irish twins, my older daughter chose to redshirt herself and she waited to graduate a year after she could have, so she could graduate with her sister, which I thought was really sweet. So, so they graduated together in 2020, the infamous 2020. (laughs) That would have been a hard year to be graduating. Yes. But you know, in some ways it was for my older, it was really a blessing as well, because had she graduated in 2019, she had a particular college program. She plan to go to, which we'll get to that, I know, but she would have been in the middle of that first year of it when everything shut down. And this particular school had no online options. It was a very small two-year Bible college, and she would have just been sent home with nothing. So even though things got really funky and weird during that whole time, she was really glad not to have had that rug pulled out from under her. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah. So your kids are now... How old are they? They're 20, they're 21 and 22. Their birthdays are in 20. Yeah. So pretty recent birthdays. Yeah. And, and yeah. And I know we'll talk about what they're doing and all of that, but yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so where you're located in Wisconsin, what kind of rules regulations do you have to accommodate there? Mm-hmm. So I am in the greater Green Bay, Wisconsin area. So if anybody's listening and they know football and they know the Green Bay Packers, that's down the street from me. <laughs> And that's kind of what what Green Bay is known for. And we've been here for the girls' whole lives. So Wisconsin actually has, from a regulation standpoint, if you want freedom, has one of the best homeschool laws in the United States. It's not completely unregulated. There are some states here where you don't even have to let the people know that your children exist. Right. <laughs> um, I can see benefit to that as well. But what we have to do here is um, we file an annual affidavit with the State Department of Public Instruction, that's just the the record keeping arm. We don't have an office of private instruction. We file that form once a year. It's very non-invasive. We don't put our children's names or ages or anything, basically just parent name and address. And we tally the ages of our kids. That's it. But the affidavit also says that we will agree to provide at least 875 hours of instruction every year, which is easy, (laughs) and that we will cover at least something in six basic subject areas, reading, language, arts, math, science, social studies, and health. When we file the affidavit, that's a legal document saying that we will do what we just said we would do. Once we file it, we are literally left alone and presumed to be doing it. And we are not under the authority of any local school district. We just file that form. We do our thing. And nobody has a legal right to check on us. We're just presumed to be doing the right thing. I kind of like having a form as well. Some people get bothered by that. Mm -hmm. But I have friends in other states where there's nothing to file. And sometimes at high school graduation, that can be a problem because 
colleges or employers might say, well, how do I know you really were homeschooled? Right. Yes, I've got a diploma and transcript, but how do I know? And here in Wisconsin, if somebody asks, I can print out those forms right. and for the girls' high school years, and there's something official and that sometimes helps. So I don't mind it because it's so non-invasive, but I like having something, I think. Right. And that's, that's a nice thing to understand, right? Here, all we have to do is send a letter of intent. We don't even, mm. it's not even like an affidavit, David. Yeah. It's like just a letter of intent yeah. um, to our local school board is where we're uh, supposed to send it. Okay. Um, but they're supposed to send a letter back. And so knowing that, you know, I now have this verification mm -hmm. from an official body to be able yeah. to say, yes my home, my child was homeschooled and we were responsible for that. I can understand stand that being a, a valuable thing to have as you're getting into that graduation and applying to colleges, that kind of thing. And I think, you know, in this day and age, I think we all ride the coattails of those who've gone before us. You know, mm -hmm. if, we were, if we were doing this 40, 30 years ago, it would be a lot more difficult to prove that things were, you know, equal, whatever, whatever. But because there's a local college, actually, that my one daughter is going to start in, uh, in in this fall, and they just take homeschool transcripts and diplomas at face value. If you mm -hmm. turn this in and you say my child's GPA was this, and I was talking to the admissions counselor about that a couple of years ago, and he said, it's because we have so much success and a history of success with homeschool graduates. They come here and they do well. Right. So we have learned that if a parent says X, Y, and Z, nine times out of 10, it's true and it's accurate. So right. I think we have a lot that we should owe those who went before and fought those battles for us and, and not take it for granted either. You know, we, we have to, we have to step up and we have to make sure the next generation has it as easy as we do. Mm -hmm. So you talked a little bit about how you saw homeschool, a homeschool family in your congregation at church and just were so impressed about how the kids were turning out in that family and and then your own experience of being a teacher. Was there any other specific reasons why you chose to homeschool? I mean, I guess I guess two main ones. One would be, I just enjoyed being with my children and I couldn't see sending them off to somebody else all day long and letting those people, whether they were good or bad, you know, I sometimes can be critical of the public school system. I always say that it's the system that I'm critical of not individual teachers because there's a lot of good individual teachers I tried to be one I know a lot of them right yeah. so even if I had been able to guarantee that my girls got nothing but good teachers unfortunately there are some who aren't so let's say I could pick and choose I didn't want those people to get my girls for the eight best hours of their day when they're at prime time and they're not tired and all of that other stuff and to be able to be the one to see the light bulb go on so I think that was that was definitely one of my main reasons. And then for me, I'm a Christian by faith, and I just really feel that that was God's calling on me as well to take that personal responsibility for the academics. I already know it's my responsibility to train them up in values and all of that kind of thing. And I just, you know, doing some reading on all of it from that biblical perspective, I just, for me, I felt like that God is saying, this is your job too. So don't abdicate. Right. And I can't speak how anybody else might be called, but that's really strongly what I felt. And then my husband, once he got to know those homeschool graduates and we talked, he saw that perspective as well, too. So what methodology did you start with? And did you continue with that throughout the whole 
homeschool experience or did it yeah. change and shift as you went? Oh, that's such a funny question. Yeah. Because one of the other things I do is I curate a curriculum database, which we can maybe talk about at the end too. So sure. since, since I started homeschooling, I've seen kind of the, the whole gamut. When I started out, I, I joined a really good little homeschool, not little, but 200 families. So homeschool support group. It wasn't a co-op. It was just a group. And we primarily did social activities together, but parents talked and shared and almost all the people I met right away were classical homeschoolers. The book at that time was The Well-Trained Mind by Susan Weisbauer. And it's, you know, 800 pages and everybody had referred me to it. And these were wonderful families and their kids were great. And I thought, well, all right, that's it. Right. So I got The Well-Trained Mind. My girls, mind you, are two and three years old at this time. <laughs> so right. we didn't have to do anything. Right. Um, and I started reading it and there's nothing wrong with the book, but it just didn't sit right with me. There's nothing wrong with classical education, but it did sit right with me. And I finally set it aside thinking I can't do that. But I felt guilty, like, but that's the best education and I'm not going to do it. Oh, my goodness. So I was really stressing at that point. And maybe the girls were three and four, four and five at that point. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do because I didn't want to do classical education. Couldn't really tell these people. They wouldn't have cared. But in my mind, I thought if I tell them I'm not doing classical ed, they'll judge me. They wouldn't have. Then I went to a seminar by a lady named Carol Joy Side, S-E-I-D, and she still does seminars. And she's kind of a proponent of Charlotte Mason hmm. and the living books thing and all of that. And I just went to it because this same group sponsored her to come into town and, and talk to us for a day. And that hit my heart. Like, that's it. We're going to sit and we're going to read beautiful literature together. And that's it. And knowing at that point, my girls were, you know, like I said, four or five kind of years old, I knew that they would resonate well with that. You know, to sit down and read nothing but literature all day long doesn't work for some kids. If you have an active boy or girl and they can't sit still, then they're not cut out for that style because that's what it requires, right? So we started with that because it really just was powerful to me, like that's it. And we kind of stuck with that all the way through, except I did use different curricula. When we started out, I used Heart of Dakota for a couple of years. Then I went to My Father's World for a couple of years after that. And at that point, I think the girls were nine and 10. There were certain things that I wanted to always substitute out from the packages. Mm -hmm. And it got to the point where I was subbing out most of the package. And I thought, well, this is silly. Why am I buying it? <laughs> and then substituting X, Y, or Z just to find a better fit. And right. so I had gained enough confidence as a homeschooler. I had gotten to know my kids as learners over those first few years. So at that point, they're nine and 10 years old. That's the year I went eclectic <laughs> and just started picking and choosing from all the different resource providers that I knew about. I, I would say always kind of in that Charlotte Mason vein of things, but not everything. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a groupie to the extent of I'm going to put her on a pedestal because if there's one of her ideas that doesn't fit my kids, I'm not going to do it. So it was always with that flavor. And then as the girls got into high school, I actually started moving more toward unschooling meaning giving my girls more ownership for what subjects do you want to study? You know, within the realm of here's what the law requires and here's what I think you'll need for post-secondary stuff. But okay, if I say you have to do math, what, what curriculum? Let's look at some options and give you a choice and explaining, here's Rachel, why you do need to do algebra one, even though you hate algebra, <laughs> you know, but, but letting them be more involved and making it not so much of a top down, which at that point was very different from my friends. My friends with same age kids, they might have been more kind of a loosey goosey, Charlotte Mason, whatever, when their kids were in elementary. And when their kids hit high school, they went the traditional route. 
We're doing an online package. We're doing a textbook package. It's got to be blah, blah, blah. And so they thought I was a little nuts because <laughs> I was doing the plum opposite of what they were doing. But I, I was really convicted that as teenagers, my girls needed to start having a say in things, hmm. not control but a say, because they were going to, they were going to be young adults. They were young adults. They needed an opportunity to make decisions and not just have all their decisions made for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is so vital in those teen years and preparing for adulthood is that experience of being able to make some of those decisions and have some ability to decide direction in their life. Well, um, because and- they have the rest of their life that they're going to have to do that. And if they don't have a chance to practice, then it hits at 20 or 18 to 20 and it can be a bit of a shock, you yeah, know? Absolutely. Yeah. And one thing interesting that I learned when I talk about unschooling and I'm in some unschooling groups and people talk about no curriculum. Well, one thing I learned was that John Holt and his protege, Pat Perenga never said that. <laughs> unschooling is about giving your kids agency giving your involvement. And if you have a child like one of mine who came to me and had researched a civics curriculum, I was having my girls watch videos and being kind of very loosey-goosey about that. And she couldn't stand the person doing the videos. (laughs) And she's like, mom, I can't pay attention. I'm not learning. So she had done some research into a curriculum called Not Grass. She liked the look of it. It's very traditional. And she said, mom, this is what I want to do for civics. And I said, well, you're gonna have to start back from the beginning. She's like, I don't care. So really unschooling was giving my child a voice and Mm -hmm. letting her say, I want a traditional curriculum for this Mm -hmm. because that's going to work for me. And it was phenomenal for her. So I think, you know, when people think about that, they think you don't use any outside resources and some people make that mistake, but I think it's really just about finding the right resources and and letting your kids have a voice in that to Mm -hmm. whatever extent they Absolutely. I love that. Also, I think that's a big misunderstanding with unschooling is that people think it means completely balking the system, completely rejecting curriculum, but that's not what it's about. It's about the student being able to have choice. Right. And if they choose curriculum, yeah, then you use curriculum. Absolutely. Right. It would be violating unschooling tenants if you said no. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Absolutely. It's also not on parenting. It doesn't mean that you lose your role as a parent. I mean, yes. <laughs> of course, we always want to help our kids become independent adults, right? Yes. Um, and so sometimes, even in the teen years, we have to say no. The answer is no here. One of my daughters, if I would have let her, would have gone to public high school, but the answer was no because I knew that it wouldn't be a good place. And I also knew that it wouldn't be good for her because she was going through some things at that time. And she, she since came back to me before she even graduated high school and said, Thanks, mom, for no, for me knowing that it was never an option because I would have gotten mixed in with the wrong people because of where she was at, right? Right. So sometimes we still have to say no. Just like when they're little, we have to say, you must eat your vegetables, even though you only want to eat Fruit Loops. I mean. <laughs> or so yes, bedtime is important and healthy and we need to go to bed so you can yeah. have a happy day tomorrow. Yeah. We're adults. We've lived more of life. I yeah. think comes to like college planning and career, we can look at our own school experience and say, yeah, there was some dumb busy work here that we can avoid with our kids, but there are still some things that are necessary. And so we, we do them a disservice if we don't put some parameters on their lives. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what are some things that you have loved about homeschooling? Uh, Everything. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, though, getting to be the one to see the light bulb come on, 
Mm. when the girls were little, you know, to be the one there when they learn to read, to yes. be the one there when the math concepts click or yeah. or sitting around and reading history and talking about it together instead of, you know, seeing some worksheet come home and not really knowing what was going on when they were little and when they were teenagers, being there when they had the understandable growing up problems. You know, homeschoolers are not immune to hormonal difficulties that cause you to kind of whack out. <laughs> They're not immune to bullying. We were in a homeschool ice skating class and there was a bully there. And so my girls had to deal with that. But because I knew the situation, I was able to be the one to speak into their lives. And it's not that we were isolated and they had no other adult mentors and influences. They certainly did have all of that. But I was able to be the one that they would go to because I was there every day. It wasn't that they felt disconnected from me, so they had to go to a different adult. Fully, we did have good friends where they felt like, you know, this lady is Aunt Denise because she's such a good friend and so they could talk to her about things, but but they felt like they could talk to me and my husband. And in the teen years, we didn't lose relationship because we were together. I'm definitely having that experience now as well. And I'm appreciating it so much with my daughter turning 15 in the next yeah. week or so. Um, yeah. Like she comes to me and talks to me about things that I don't see many teens her age go to their parents and right. talk about, talk to their parents about those things. And it's been great for both of us for our relationship, but also because I am an adult, because I do have more life experience than her. I can talk to her in a different way than if she was going to her peers who don't have the life experience to be able to handle some of those challenges. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. And they still need to differentiate and become their own person, you know, Absolutely. and I, I, yeah. um, I have met some homeschooling families where the parents have struggled with that. And mm -hmm. then sometimes the, the kids, when they become young adults, they flounder a little bit and this is not the majority or they might step away and there's some rebellion there, which mm -hmm. is really sad when that happens. And it's not that the parents were trying to hurt their kids. It's just that they had a hard time knowing that it's our job when they're teenagers to help them become independent, as painful as that is. We do them a disservice if we don't help them with that. But I understand it's hard. Well, I the, Even just giving up some of the academics, the first time that I said, okay, we're not going to do science together. You guys, you know, take your materials and, and I'll be checking in every day. That was right. hard. And that was just one subject. And then little by little, I handed it over and it was independent for them. And that was tough, but it was necessary. Right. That's really interesting. So as you went through high school, you kind of stepped back and had them do more and more independent study? Yes, most definitely. So I guess, the, and I was being kind of an unschool or eclectic -y, I tried not to pay attention to grade level stuff, except that when you know that they're in high school, you know that four years from now, they're going to graduate. So, so then they right. kind of know, oh, I'm a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. So it became more of a thing in high school year. So in hindsight, I would say it was like eighth grade when I started handing over the reins little by little. And the first right. thing was, and we kind of agreed. That was the other thing we talked about it. You know, I said, I think it's time that we start doing this because as you get into high school, it's going to have to be more and more independent. And I think you'll want that. Oops. And they did. So the first subject that I handed off, we decided together was science. And now my girls are not, they weren't necessarily wired for science and math, but we were using apology as general science. And we said, okay, fine. So they started taking that themselves. And I really missed it. 
<laughs> that we weren't doing it together, but we were still doing, so we did history together. So we were still doing that partly because we were using the mystery of history and it's a four book series. And obviously they could read it themselves, but I was reading it to them. We were discussing it and that kind of thing. And I wanted to finish it because I had not learned really a lot of history my growing up years. And that was one of the blessings of homeschooling was learning so much myself and getting educated yeah. and re-educated about so many cool things. So I said to them, you know, I'm not going to give up history. <laughs> I'm going to get all the way through this curriculum because I want to learn all this stuff to the end. So we would still do that together. And then math, I guess, had been kind of independent for a couple of years. We had been using teaching textbooks and that's an online computer program, um, but it would still be a thing even all the way through high school where they would do their stuff and the teaching textbook self-corrects, but then I would look at what they got wrong and we would still do a tutorial in the morning before they went to the next lesson. You know, let's make sure you actually kind of have a grip on this, not just you get it marked wrong and move on. But as much as possible, I handed things over to them, starting, I guess, in what I would call eighth grade. What curriculums did you use? You kind of like pulled some and pieced it together. What, what ones did you find worked for your family? Definitely eclectic, especially in those high school years. But so we had finished the mystery of history series together. And then as I, my husband loves history and he was really adamant that the girls do history all the way through high school. You know, if, right. you, if you look at like college admissions requirements, generally speaking, a four-year college will say they want here in the States, they want one credit of American history, one credit of world history, but they don't really care which era, you know? Mm -hmm. So, but my husband said, nope, they're doing world history all the way through. <laughs> So, all right, knowing that, they actually asked if they could go through the mystery of history on their own mm. the second time. Okay. And they did. So I set different expectations, obviously. And I wasn't hands-on in all of that anymore. But we did use that all the way through. And then it's a world history program. The half of the fourth volume out of the four is American history because it's kind of such a big chunk starting in the 1700s. But it wasn't a complete American history. So there right. was another program I used for that called history to you. The number two is in there. So history number two, the letter U is what I believe it's called. And that was a video based curriculum. Okay. For math, it was some teaching textbooks. And then also the something called the key to series by McGraw Hill. And then for consumer mathematics, which again, neither of my girls is really mathy. Um, so they didn't need tons of higher math for what they're being called to do. Um, but consumer math, we used the Abeka program, which I have never used Abeka for anything else, but it, I was really pleased with their consumer mathematics. For science, I used the 101 series and okay. a little bit of Apologia. And yeah, just kind of mixed and matched. For language arts, I actually did something called a writer's workshop where I let my children from little on all the way through high school, pick what they wanted to read. Okay. The rule was read at least one chapter a day. And when they were younger, they would make a project and share it with the family to show their comprehension. When they were in high school, they said, we don't want to take that much time, which I was kind of bummed about. I thought how mm. fun to high schoolers making projects, but they didn't want to take that time. So we created a book review blog. And every time they completed a book, they wrote a review of the book. It's still out there. And then that was part of their composition. But I let them have a choice. And one of them chose to read a lot of classic literature. I had a bunch of stuff available and then and they went from there. And the other didn't read a lot of classics, but she was always reading. Yeah. And then for composition, we went, we used an IEW program. And then I got a book called Essay Styles for High School from a company called Train Up a Child Publishing. It really just guides a student through how to write the different essay styles, you know, persuasive narrative. 
and let them choose the topics, but we just continually were practicing those various essay styles through their high school years. So right. their language arts was probably the least guided by curriculum, but they were always reading and writing. Yeah. I always like hearing kind of what people enjoyed and how they piece it all together because one piece of curriculum from a specific publishing company may work for you, but then the other pieces don't. And it doesn't mean that any particular company is bad. No. It's just what works for what child, you know? Mm-hmm. And also at that high school level, for what they're feeling called to in the future. As I mentioned, mm-hmm. my girls didn't have much interest in math or science and their interest did not lie there. We also made a, a conscious decision. And I don't know what the system is like, like where you're at, but in the States, if you have, if you go to a two-year college and you get an associate's degree, you can use that associate's degree to transfer into a bachelor's program mm. at junior standing. And it's a lot less expensive that way. Sometimes you get the associate's degree and that you realize that's all you need. So you mm-hmm. don't even have to worry about it. So we have made a conscious and oh, when you go into a junior standing, you avoid freshman admissions requirements. So if you go in as a freshman to a four-year college here, you need to have pre-calculus. Well, neither of my girls likes math and one really struggles with math. That would have been impossible, right? No matter where they went to school, for the one especially. But at the two-year school, which are very good schools, the requirements are very, very different. Like you need right. some math, but not that. Right. And so you start there. And then if you want to, you transfer in and you can continue and get a full bachelor's if you want to. So we made a conscious decision to plan their high school years so they could get into the good two-year college that we have in town or a different two-year college and then go from there, however they yeah. felt led. So what were some struggles you felt like you had in your homeschool? I I mentioned before that one of my daughters really struggled in the midst of her teen years. I would say it was probably evident from 14 to 16. She would say it kind of started for her at age 13. And what we now know is, so she's, it was attitude, right? So this is the younger two of the two. And my older daughter, you know, had the normal stuff, but nothing like noticeable as far as teen attitude or anything like that. Right. And then the younger one started exhibiting some of this stuff. And it's like, what's going on here? And It was actually kind of scary because she was often frustrated with me. She didn't want to necessarily be in relationship with me, though I I did my part to hang in with her and didn't really know what was going on. And I would try to talk to her and say, you know, is there something different I need to do, blah, blah, blah. In hindsight, and hindsight is 2020. At the time, I was scared. I thought I'm going to lose my child's heart. I'm homeschooling for that purpose. And what's going on here? In hindsight, we know now that she was really struggling biologically with those hormonal changes, they affected her a ton more than they did her sister. So she was going through all of that and it was playing havoc with everything in her life, her motivation for academics, her relationship with me, all of that. And she's a lot like me and she wanted to differentiate herself from me. So she would do things like, you know, and I let her do this, you know, I her hair black. (laughs) She's very light skinned and all of this. So it looked kind of funny, but I'm like, well, if that's the battle I have to fight, that's not a big deal. Right. But she was trying to do these things. So some of it was just her differentiating from me. Some of it was this hormonal stuff, but the hard thing was not knowing the other side. Right. What I could say in hindsight is even though I didn't know how it was going to turn out and that was just a God thing, in my opinion, part of it was I chose to hang in with her. Right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think even homeschoolers, we get a a challenging teenager 
and we're like, yep, that's just teen rebellion. I'm done. Right. Can't wait yeah. till she's 18. Get out of the house. And I think that's, a, or, and we, and we engage in screaming battles with them, right? Cause they're yelling at us and we scream back. That breaks my heart for any family, right? Yeah. I think that's a failure of the parent to be a parent. We are more mature, supposedly. <laughs> we are older. We're supposed to not react in kind when our kid is going through that. It's not that we allow the disrespect, mm -hmm. but we have to be the one to say, I am not going to let this become a cycle, right? Mm -hmm. I just, I mean, I, I'm not saying I'm all that. I happen to read a book called Age of Opportunity by Ted okay. Tripp or Paul Tripp. I can never remember which trip, but one of the trips, and that really helped me because the subtitle of that book is helping you thrive, not just survive your kids' teen years. Mm -hmm. And those ideas were floating around in my head as, as my daughter was going through all this stuff. And she did come out of it. Around age 16, her demeanor changed. I think she was getting more used to physically everything that was going on. And a lot of things were self-regulating. And so it got better. And she mm -hmm. was would have gone to school if I'd let her. But then when she was 17, she said, thank you so much for saying no. I know that because I was so messed up, I would have hooked up with the wrong kids and really right. damaged myself. So, right. so that was probably the biggest thing. My other daughter was a late reader. So this would be going okay. back to the time. The younger one, she learned to read around five and it was just pretty seamless. And then she learned to spell and it was pretty seamless. My other daughter, I was starting the phonics when she was five and she was willing, but it just wasn't clicking. And it didn't click for her until she was after she was eight years old. So we're yeah. making progress little by little. There's some dyslexia in the family. So I was like, well, do I need to get her tested? But then she'd make a leap forward. And one day I swear she went to bed, a non-reader. She woke up the next day she could read. I don't know. You know, it was just her brain development, right? Yeah. And some things just click. And then once she was a reader, she was a reader. And that was it. She's the one who read classics all through high school. Yeah. Um, and then spelling for her, that was also a struggle. And, but one day she went to bed, she's 13 years old. She woke up the next morning, she could spell. <laughs> so, I mean, something from that is to tell parents, give it, give it some time. If you have a later bloomer, it might not be a disability. It might just be developmental readiness. Yep. Never and my experience is very, very similar with my oldest. She was over eight and a half before she was a confident reader. She really struggled before that. But the great thing I found with that experience with her is that she remembers learning to read and how much it felt like it was a struggle because she wanted to so badly, but it was hard, right? And now she's like a voracious reader. She goes through novels that are 500 pages in like two days, right? So... But yeah, but we can have conversations about that. When we're talking about learning other skills, I can say, remember when you were trying to learn how to read, it felt like such a struggle. And then all of a sudden it clicked because you kept going, right? And so we can apply some of those skills of learning how to learn from yeah. reading to other topics. Absolutely. And maybe to help her siblings as well. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. If she sees her sibling struggling with something, she can have some empathy because she knows yeah. what that's like, right? Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, and it, that's been something that's really been beautiful to see. My six-year-old is now expressing that interest in letters and 
learning to write and doing a little bit of reading and that kind of thing. And she's the one who wants to sit down and do that with her often. And so it's really sweet to see that, that relationship between them. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And you got through that with your oldest. I got through those things with my girls. And I think you know, sometimes parents want to give up. If, if mm-hmm. we had to talk about perseverance for us to persevere through it, you know, and say, I know, I know what I know, what I know in this one-on-one tutorial where I'm the primary person in my girl's lives is what's best. Mm-hmm. We're struggle. If we need to draw on some outside resources, okay, so be it. But that doesn't mean that the the paid stranger in the school down the street knows my kid better than I do. She might be the nicest person on the planet. She still only meets those kids in September and doesn't know anything about them. And then she sends them off in May. So I still know my kids better and I can still work through their struggles and help them to the other side. Mm -hmm. I love that you mentioned that you found a book that was supportive for you too, with your, your second daughter. Sometimes it feels to me like more, more than anything, being a homeschool parent, more than the curriculum, more than understanding how education works. It's understanding how parenting works and child development works. And when I understand those two pieces, everything else can kind of slot in. Yeah. I like to say that homeschooling is really just an extension of parenting. Mm -hmm. You know, we're still doing all the parent, all parents do the emotional, social, you know, faith training, all of that. Right. And a lot of people, I want to say abdicate, that sounds negative, but they they kind of outsource. They outsource the academics to somebody else. Well, only thing we're doing different is we're not outsourcing academics, but we're still doing all the same things as the other parents. And so it's it's not a big new thing. It's just adding. And it feels like a big thing and it is, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you approach graduation? I heard you mention before a little bit about a transcript and a diploma and that kind of thing. So how did you shift that, all those curriculums that they were studying into actually graduating? So partly my benefit, my experience in the schools may have helped me. So I was less nervous about that than some parents because I had awarded credits and and all that stuff. I mean, I was just a teacher in the school. I wasn't the principal, but I, I knew what that system was all about. I also knew that there is not a school teacher on the planet who ever finishes a textbook. And if she tells you she does, she's lying. (laughs) so when we if my girls were using a textbook and they only got like 70 to 75 percent done I'm like well that's on par with your peers not that I'm encouraging that but sometimes life happens you know we buy the books so we want to finish every single page and that's awesome right but if something happens and the child gets most of the way through you're not going to make her behind by not finishing you can still award the credit because that's what's happening to all her competition that go to school (laughs) right they still get the credit So I knew that. So I was a little bit more relaxed about it. And so I just, I educated myself though a little bit. I said, okay, if we're using a textbook or an online course and they get about 75% or more done, I'm awarding a credit. If we're using a variety of resources, mixing and matching and it's literature and it's this and it's that. One thing I learned is something called the Carnegie unit. And that's been a longstanding measure for awarding credit. If a person studies 120 hours, give or take, right? That's one credit. 60 hours is half a credit. So one of the things I did for my girls as they're in high school is I I created learning logs and they would write down every day what they did because we agreed on goals for like every six to eight weeks. I put them in the learning log and I said, I don't care if you do all 18 history lessons in the first week, 
You just have to get them done by the end. And they would write that down. I could use their learning logs then to say, okay, so this will then translate to that. And at this point you've earned the credit because it's, you did 126 hours of this using our variety of resources, there's a credit, right? And so that, those are the two main ways to award credit. And that was a huge thing. And that's a huge question I get when I talk to parents about homeschooling through high school, how do you do that? But those are the two main ways. And if you can, you can mix and match, you know, some is just going to be a textbook. Some is going to be mix and match. There's a third way. If you have a child who's just brilliant in a certain area and they just have demonstrated mastery and they're right. an expert. I, I use an example of maybe a kid who's into woodworking and he does it on his, on the side for fun, but he's making some amazing things and he, it's, it's a skill. So you bought him some equipment and let's say you have a friend who's a carpenter and he comes over and he's like, wow. So if an expert in the field can be impressed by what your child's doing and you haven't logged hours or anything like that, cause that would kill his joy. <laughs> but there's, there's, you know, something that each kid has, that's just a thing. You can still give them credit for that. Even if you didn't log the hours right. know, and, and that's going to be rare but you can still do that in some regards. So yeah, it was just a matter of educating myself on that, knowing that in the States, in any state, if you follow your homeschool law, the diploma and transcript that you create as the parent are legally binding and totally legitimate and not being afraid about that. You don't have to get a GED. You don't have to do anything like that. As long as you know you're following the homeschool law. And again, go back to that history. We have 30 to 40 years of history based on those people who fought the battles for us. So almost every college or employer will readily welcome you in, in the military as well. Mm -hmm. If you see it, they'll believe you because of the precedent. So there's so much more discussion about that with the US than there is in Canada. And so it's hard for me to understand what all the laws are here. And so that's another piece that I'm starting to go, okay, I need to understand how does our transcript work here? How does, how and does the each province have its own homeschool law as well for you? Yeah. So you have to look at where you're at versus yeah. a different province, right? Yeah. Versus where we're at and my child applying to a school in a different province, if they decided that they wanted to go somewhere else too. So it's very interesting kind of hearing all the different experiences and how people have navigated the different systems that they're in. So yeah, I, that would be very fascinating to sit down with, you know, a, like somebody like me who's graduated kids in the States and somebody who's graduated kids in Canada and say, okay, what are the differences? The differences. Some, I think yeah. that would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I do have friends that have graduated, but they almost pursued the ones that I've talked to whose kids actually graduated high school. They pursued like a dual enrollment with their local university, right? while their child was still in high school. And so that was, that's a different approach than I think we're going to be taking. I don't think my daughter's interested in pursuing that right now. So it's like, okay, so I have to figure out how this works for us right now. And that is yeah. something that parents do here, but I looked into it. I didn't feel compelled. Neither of the girls was necessarily interested in, in jumping that gun so quickly. It's like, nah, let's just, let's let you enjoy your high school years. There's plenty of time to do things after you're 18. So yeah. we didn't, rush it, but some people do, especially if the, the kid really wants a four-year degree, you can get a jump on things and pay less for those credits while you're still in high school. So sometimes it's relevant and, but it's not something that people should feel pressured. They have to do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So how did you 
piece together a transcript. I talked to another mom who said that she found the transcript was even more than important than the diploma. Yeah. I don't know what your, yeah, your, your experience is. is yeah. I, I think, you know, people might ask to see the diploma. I don't think mostly, but, but I think no matter what the teen thinks that they're going to do after high school, I think it is imperative to make a diploma just in case it's asked for. It's simple, right? You can hire somebody to do, or you can do it yourself, but it's super important to have a transcript, even if the teen is sure that they'll never go to college because you never know the future. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always say, you know, heaven forbid your child wants to go to college 10 years down the line and you've passed away or whatever. There's no way you can create a transcript with integrity. And in that case, the teen might not, or the young adult at that point might not be able to enroll, might have to do a GED or some other thing that sadly communicates dropout, not graduate. Right. So do it while you're in it. That's really important. And sometimes employers ask for those documents. My younger daughter has never gone to college. She's only 21, so who knows? But she hasn't to this point gone to college, but she has a very good job doing sales of all things. She's a second born. It's her temperament. This is her. She's excellent at it for a national insurance company. Okay. She decided to apply for it. She had worked customer service in a different company. She decided to go for it. And she got this job and everything was great. And they said, okay, your employment is contingent upon us seeing your diploma and your transcript. They knew she was homeschooled, but they probably require that of everybody because having a college degree is not a job requirement, but being a high school graduate is. Right. So they said, our way to know that is to see your documents. So she messaged me and said, mom, I need my documents. <laughs> and that right. was for a So I just think it's important. Just make them. There are templates online that you can get. I actually... And this would apply mostly, I think, in the States, but I could still send you that link because I wrote an article about how to put together a transcript. Yeah, and even that would be fantastic. So I'll send you that and then you could include that in the show notes if you want. Um, I actually made ours subject oriented. So a lot of people will be like, okay, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade. We went on a year round schedule. So that would have been kind of difficult for me. I could have done it, but I organized ours by subject. So we have six subjects required under our homeschool law. So I organized the girls' transcripts that way because I thought, well, that's an easy way for people to see I complied with the homeschool law. (laughs) Right. Because I've got those subjects right there. And then I have a category for electives. And it worked out really well. And then I just put the courses in chronologically for math, for language arts. So it it was chronological in a way, but it was organized by subject. And it was readily accepted by the various different entities. And I think because my girls graduated in 2020, their post-secondary path has been a little bit herky-berkey. <laughs> I could tell you what they've ended up doing, but so they've applied to different things and it's never been questioned. Okay. Like the transcript, okay. So That's either way, and some people like doing it by year, some people like doing it by subject and either one is good. Good. And so you said your one daughter is in sales right now at an insurance agency. What's your other... Do- daughter what's her experience been since she's graduated so so the one who is not selling insurance and there's a little bit more to the story of the one selling insurance but so that one is the older one and she had been sure since she was 14 that she would go to a particular bible college right after high school and that she would be a missionary in japan and that was what she was absolutely sure she was being called to do and there's a really good school about two hours from here that was where she was going to go she applied January of her senior year. She got in, all of it was great. And then COVID. <laughs> and 
with just how everything was in the summer of 2020, the rules and regulations and the uncertainty of what rules might come down the pipe later on, just a little while before she was supposed to go, she came to my husband and I, and she said, I don't think I can go. I, this is too stressful. And something with her sister that happened, which we can talk about. And she's like, I, I can't go. And we supported her because we didn't want her being far away and all this stuff happening. And it was just such a chaotic time, you know, yeah. without COVID, she would have gone and she would have done this, but clearly that wasn't what she was supposed to do. So she stayed home. And really for the last three years has been trying to find her way because she had this plan and she's a planner and she's the firstborn. And so to be told she couldn't do what she thought she should do was hard. Um, What she ended up doing was she did odd jobs her first year out of high school because it was hard to get a regular job (laughs) with all the rules and regulations and everything. She had been a lifeguard in high school, but the YMCA that, that she was at was closed for so long. And then they only brought back a few people. So she couldn't do that, but she did odd jobs for different people, you know, cleaning, organizing, tutoring, a whole bunch of things. And she was, she helped with our homeschool choir and musical that year that she had been involved in. She became an assistant stage manager and really helped and blessed that program as they were trying to do things in the midst of all that. Then she took a job as a church secretary for a year at a church that we had attended at the time and learned that she's really good at administrative things, but also learned that that wasn't her long-term situation. So we're talking, you and I now in July of 2023, she is set to enroll at that two-year college in town that we had made her ready for in August. And she is in a program called Justice and Community Advocacy. And she's always had an interest in counseling so what okay. she's, this program would enable her to do is to work with specifically young women that are maybe in juvenile detention, rough situations like that, and help them. And without having at this point to get a bachelor's and then a master's in counseling to get her feet wet and see if this is what she's supposed to do long-term, but she's going to be starting that program. And I think finally feeling like, okay, this is something I can do. I got derailed a little bit. But that's a good lesson for her to know that sometimes you make your plans and they don't always work out through no fault of your own. And you have to roll with the punches, so to speak. So I'm really proud of her for for sticking it out, even though as a planner, that's not what she wanted to do. So so she's back. And yes, my younger daughter works for this national insurance company. She got her first job when she she was 16. She was working at a daycare center at the YMCA. And she met the gentleman who's now her husband. When she was 16 years old, he brought his nieces in to this childcare where she was working. And they, it was almost love at first sight. It's a sweet story now, but it's crazy when you think she was 16. That's not what we had in mind. So because she met him, not because of COVID, the different plans that she had in mind, she was going to go live internationally in the UK and then do an international nanny school and travel the world as a a, a nanny. Wow. (laughs) Um, But then she didn't want to leave her now husband. So she basically got married straight out of high school. (laughs) There's a story with that, but that kind of threw us for a loop, her sister, especially because they're so close. And now she's here. She worked for a daycare center for a year. She got a customer service job. And her husband said, you're smart. You can do better than just customer service. So he's the one who encouraged her to apply for the sales job. And it's phenomenal. She sells like 400% above her goal every month and they don't know how she does it. Good for her got the job and she's just rocking it. And, and they, so they've been married about three years. They just had their first baby in December. So now I get to be a grandma as well. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, sales can be a hard job. So that's, 
That's yeah. impressive. Yeah. That's she's she's impressive. cut out for it. She just knows how to, she basically sells Medicare and Medicaid to old people. So they have to have it, but she has a way of encouraging them and not manipulating. They, they feel like she's, because she does, she listens to them. And I think part of it is she knows how to talk with children. So right. she also knows how to talk with older people for all this complicated, confusing thing. And right. so she connects with them and they connect with her and they're like, yes, I'll buy the policy. <laughs> so that's awesome. Good for her. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if she'll pursue college at some point, you know, they're raising this baby now and she's doing well. They've said at the company that they could see her being on a management track in a few years because she does do so well. Mm-hmm. If she doesn't get a college degree, why spend the money? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, and I mean, if she ever decided to be an entrepreneur instead, sales is such a huge piece of of yes. that too. So the, she's definitely building skills that are useful for yeah, her husband. So he's a trained engineer. He works at a company doing engineering something or other. I don't know what he does, but he does something with engineering. But he also wants to open his own general contracting business. Mm. And so she is kind of not with the sales at this point, but helping him on some of that back end stuff. So who knows if he does get to launch that business, she could be his office manager and all that stuff too. So yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That's great. And how old is your grandson? Grandson, he has just turned seven months old and I get to babysit oh. him when it works. So I get that. It's almost like reliving their years of, you know, childhood. So that's <laughs> yeah. lovely. So they homeschool, maybe I'll get to do that too. <laughs> yeah, that would be very fun. Yeah. So as we wrap up here, if you could talk to someone that's just starting out on their homeschool journey or they're struggling a little bit, what would you tell them? keep going. <laughs> you will have hard days. Okay. I think I talked to a lot of homeschool parents who feel like if they have a hard day, hard month, hard season, they should stop. There will be hard times. Definitely. That's undeniable. If not, because something our kids are going through us learning how to be patient. I mean, I'm not a patient person, ask my kids, <laughs> but I had to learn it. And I learned it through homeschooling. Mm-hmm. And so if I had sent my kids away, I never would have had the opportunity to grow in that area myself. So just know that there's going to be some hard times, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Persevere, stick with it, surround yourself with community that will encourage you to keep at it. Don't be a lone ranger because sadly, we're always going to hear the voices, you know, oh, it's hard, put them in school. So you need to surround yourself with people who are going to encourage you to keep going And then like you were saying too, just, you know, finding resources, books and podcasts like this one, and and that'll encourage you to keep going as well. So sometimes it'll be in-person people in your real life. Other times it'll be skills and knowledge that you can read about, that you can listen about, go to homeschool conventions now and then, maybe not every year, but, but just keep immersing yourself in it. I made a decision to kind of pretend to myself that there were no other options. Because I didn't want to easy out it when things got tough. So I thought to myself, well, let's pretend I'm a pioneer on the prairie in 1862. And this is it. And I have to educate my kids. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to take what I would have thought would have been the easy way out in some regards. And that helped through the hard times. So don't give up. The fruit on the other side, I can tell you, is so worth the effort. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tina. And you have a podcast and a homeschool community as well. 
So I've got the podcast, which we mentioned before, and it is, I, I run a local homeschool parent resource center. So I help parents in my area stick with the homeschooling thing. And we, we started a podcast in conjunction with that. And so the site is called the Homeschool Loft. You can access our podcast, which is called the, the Loftcast on there. It's just myself and my co-host talking kind of like you're doing here, but lots of different topics just to encourage people. And then for the last 10 years, I've run a homeschool curriculum database called the Homeschool Resource Roadmap. It's free to use. My goal is to list every single company that markets to homeschoolers or that homeschoolers use, some traditional, some YouTube channels that are educational and kind of everything in between. If homeschoolers use it, I reach out to the companies, I get them added. And parents can go and use the site for free and just find if you're looking for elementary math, you can see all the options and choose the ones that are right for your kids. And I've been doing that for the last 10 years. And that's kind of my big project now. But just to encourage parents that there's stuff out there, there are 6,001, I kid you not, companies as of today that are on the roadmap. Wow. That's yeah. a lot of resources. <laughs> a lot of resources. And some are like, you know, I have a penmanship curriculum and that's it. And some are big. They've got things for tons of subjects, but everything that I learn about from homeschool groups and people, I get them added. So if you want to go see everything, that's the place to go. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah. I will definitely check that out. And I hope our listeners check that out as well. Thank mm -hmm. you so much, Tina. It's been wonderful to have you today. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for listening to Diary of a Homeschooler. I hope you gained some insights that will help you and your family in your education journey. I look forward to having you join me on the next episode.